If you are not growing, you are dying. A really good mentor of mine named Chuck, I've mentioned him just a handful of times on the show, worked for him for a couple of really great years. And he taught me more than once in the world of business, if you're not growing, you're dying. So as a hospice administrator, that is pretty much how you better look at your business that you're running. And so a good hospice administrator is going to be looking to grow. Because it with any business, if your business is not growing, then it's probably shrinking and it's probably dying. Um, and that can be kind of hard for some people to swallow because it's like, well, how big of a census are you supposed to have? And my answer is just one more. <laughs> and so we can't just want growth and get it for any organization. Now, most of my listeners on this show are case managers, field nurses, and so on and so forth. But every now and then I try to throw out a show that talks about some of the things that are more administrative in nature. And so I, I hope this is helpful for everybody. For those of you who are not in leadership, this is beneficial information that we're going to have today because this is, or at least should be, how uh, your administrator views the office that they're in charge of. But here's the thing. It is our responsibility as administrators to build a culture that at least accepts the idea that we are going to grow. And to do that, I decided to put together an episode that covers five or six of the of the things that I feel like are the most important to growing a branch. Um, and I don't really want to create an episode that creates tension between leadership and field staff. Uh, but, but this is a real thing. This is something that we're expected to do. Those of us who are administrators, we are expected by those over us to grow our branches. And so today I want to take on some of the things that I think are necessary to help cultivate that to happen. So that's going to be the subject matter of the show today. This is James Dibbon, and welcome to the Hospice Nursing Podcast. Well, hello, hospice nurses all over America and across the seas, and welcome to your show. That's right, this is the only show that provides practical help for hospice nursing success. I'm your host, James Dibbon, with Confessions of a Hospice Nurse.net, and thank you for joining me on the show today. Can you believe that it is February 2024 already? I can't. It's 
it just, I don't know, the older you get, the faster I think things go. So without further ado, I have what always is turning out to be a lot of content. Once I get to typing my notes, I have a hard time stopping. I come up with new ideas and new thoughts on a subject, and I just can't quit. And so today, as I tease there in the beginning, I'm going to talk about six different things that you need in your agency to experience growth. And it doesn't mean these are the only six, but I believe these are foundational. And I've watched a lot of this work. Now, this is more of an umbrella 30,000-foot overview. And I'll get into some details, but it's not going to be overly detailed because with six points, I could talk for two hours if I really got into the weeds and I don't do that. So today we're going to talk about this as an administrator type position. I hope that my listeners who are field nurses and not necessarily in leadership will listen to it because hopefully it will help you develop an idea of what maybe you would like to see come from leadership because I would like to think that these details that I'm going to share if more offices would implement them, the staff would benefit maybe even the most from it. Because I think it can be it can be stressful. Growth for field staff is very stressful. The pressure for leadership is stressful as we're pressured to grow our branches and different uh, different organizations have different levels of pressure for that. But for the field staff, as we dump more admissions and caseload, on them, they can get to the point where they dread growth. And who could blame them if we're short-staffed or if we have a nurse leave and we're still continuing to accept referrals? That subject in and of itself is a whole other show. And so I don't want to try to address that here because it's very complicated when it comes to referrals and short-staff and caseloads and everything that goes with that. That's a whole other show. And so right now I want to just provide just some coaching tips and tricks for you leaders out there and what I have seen be successful in my different leadership roles and hopefully to help you out. And in all of this, and I've mentioned on this show before, the difference between being a boss and a leader, because I don't want to be a boss. I know I've talked about this on here, but because to me, a boss is assigned. It's an assigned role. It's a position given to somebody. That's my boss. They're my boss. My current, quote, boss doesn't like being called a boss. When I say, hey, boss, and she's like, I'm not your boss. I'm your coworker. Let's get up. Let's do this together. So I really like her style. Uh, but there's some people who like being the boss. They like just telling everybody what to do. I'm the boss. I, You know, here's, here's my sign on my desk, and it says administrator. So you have to do what I say or whatever that role is. And I just don't like that. I think there's a better mindset with saying, I'm going to be a leader. I want to be a leader of people. I want to be the kind of, quote, boss that people want to follow. And people don't want to follow bosses. They want to follow leaders. I'm not going to get into the big differences between the two. I think you know the differences between the two. Because I think a boss just moves moves pieces around on a chessboard where they want them so that, so that they're in the position they want them in. And I think a leader wants those same chess pieces to move themselves into positions where they're most successful, if that makes sense. So um, I want to talk a little bit. So we're, we need to get into this because I've already burned eight minutes 
warming us up. And I have, again, two pages worth of notes that I want to try to get through. So number one is foster healthy relationships between sales and clinical. And I know I did episode 36 when sales met clinical and I, my, my goal here is to not rehash any of that. And I went through the notes to make sure that my notes now are not just a repeat. And some of it is going to be. We'll talk about that. But this is what I believe is step one in the growth of your organization is having healthy relationships between the sales team and the clinical team. And the way hospices run, the way these two departments run, in an organization is, at least in my experience here in Kansas City, is pretty much the same everywhere we go. The clinical team is ran 100% separate of the sales team. The sales team, like my sales team, is, does not answer to me. They may call me with questions or even frustrations, but I will make it clear to let them know, I can't solve this problem for you because I am not in your structure of leadership in any way. Like I don't, it's none of you are accountable to me. I'm not accountable to you, but it is step one to, to a successful office is trying to develop that healthy relationship between sales and clinicals. And it takes excellence on both sides for success. You can have a great sales team that really, you know, shakes a lot out of the trees so to speak. But if you don't have a good clinical team that catches those patients, uh, then you're not going to be successful. And it's the same the other direction, that if you have a really great clinical team and your sales team can't seem to provide any referrals, you're not going to grow. And I didn't always see it this way. I used to think it's all about the clinical team if we're going to be successful. Yeah, those salespeople, you know, they'll get us a referral every now and then. But this office is really mostly about the clinical side. And as long as we provide good clinical care, we probably don't need a whole lot from the sales team. They can just, you know, schmooze our referral sources and it'll be fine. And I have really learned in the last eight months, let's see where we're February. Oh my gosh. I'm only two months away from my one year anniversary at this position. So in the last 10 months, I have just watched our sales team and my opinion of that has changed. And some of that is because uh, at other organizations, my role was just different. I didn't really see the efforts that the sales team were putting into place. I, I saw their results, but I didn't really see all the efforts. I wasn't as engaged as I'm required to be being an administrator. Uh, so... So, you know, I, I would point you back to episode 36 when sales met clinical because I talk a lot about the importance of a healthy relationship between the sales team and the clinical team in that episode. And I don't want to rehash all of that here. It's unnecessary. So jump back on that episode and review a lot of my thoughts about the the clinical, you know, versus sales and, and how they interact with each other and believing in each other. Um but it's just so important that the sales team feels support from the administrator. And and it can be a tough position to be in when you're the administrator and the clinical director and you're trying to uh, 
you know, be that middleman between the sales team and the clinical team and more specifically the admissions team or the if you have an admissions nurse between that admissions nurse and the sales team or if the case managers are doing their own admissions, then between them and the sales team as well. Uh, and so I think the most important thing is the the communication. And, and I mean, I think we all know that in any organization, the biggest challenge is always going to be communication because it takes a lot of intentionality and a lot of hard work to really clean up the communication and try to keep everybody on the same page. And my favorite thing that I've created is the referral email chain. When we, anytime we get a referral in, my intake coordinator will create a referral email chain. And I know I've talked about this before, but it's just for the marketing team and the clinical director and the administrator. It's never a good idea to put, you know, all the nurses on it or anything like that because it can cause anxiety because as we all know, we all get referrals that don't quite land, end up in the hospice house or end up picking another agency or their discharge date bumps or just lots of things happen. So I don't like to include very many of the clinical team on the referral email chain, but that email chain is a fantastic way to keep everybody updated. And and our email chain, and I think I've given away that template before, reach out to me if I have not. Honestly, I can't. I don't recall everything I've talked about in every episode. And I don't listen to my own shows as much as I should just to catch my nuances and things I could be better at because I'm busy like you are. But that referral chain has the name of the patient, where the referral is from, who the liaison is, phone numbers of them, phone numbers of their caregiver. If they have Medicare and Medicaid and what those numbers are, do we have an order? Do we have records? All that fun stuff. And so everybody's required to reply to that email so we know everything that is going on and have a way to track things. So that's a great way, to, just a quick little nugget there for you on how to have a really good um you know, refer a communication between sales and your clinical team. And then I want to find ways for sales and clinical to interact more. I think it's real easy for sales to have their little meetings and clinicals to have their little meetings. And I can't say we've mastered this at all. This is just part of my vision. I think we do it some. We do have, we do a lot of all staff trainings and try to even have the sales team there so that what I don't want is to be training my nurses to do things a certain way. And then my clinical team or my sales team doesn't have a clue that we're training them that way. And, and that's dangerous ground to be on as an organization because our sales team could be making promises that we have or have not educated our clinical team on what we want to do. So I think the more opportunity we have to show the clinical uh, to, to have clinical and sales together so that they can build those relationships. And I feel like they're more likely to trust each other when they see each other in action. You know, when we see our sales team trying to get us more referrals or working with, uh, you know, a facility that we are involved in. And, and I just think it makes a big difference, uh, vice versa as well. Whenever we have an opportunity to do something together and the sales team can, you know, see how my, our nurses or our staff interact with our patients. And I, I just think it's an opportunity to see the humanity of the other side, the opportunity to see, you know, the, the, 
how each side does their job and the challenges that they faced, because both sides face a lot of challenges. And then, as I talked about in episode 36, don't try to remove all the tension that exists between sales and clinical, because some tension is healthy, because it keeps that tension, I think, helps like the, the, the clinical keeps the clinical side from just giving up too quick on these referrals that, that our marketers have tried so hard to land. And then sometimes the clinical team has to push back on the sales team a little bit and remind them, Hey, not everybody's going to qualify for hospice. And so a little bit of tension there is okay. Uh, it's just how you treat each other that is important. Right. Um, and and then just to just to remind them that ultimately our medical director does make the final decision on whether or not somebody qualifies for hospice. So calling up the admit nurse or even the administrator, clinical director, and complaining because a patient didn't get admitted is missing the fact that ultimately the medical director has to make that determination because she's the one or he's the one who has to sign the certificate of terminal illness. So why in the world, you know, would we be upset with an admit nurse if the medical director says they don't qualify? Now, there's some nuances there because the medical director doesn't go see the patient for most agencies. I've talked to a few people where the medical director does go talk to the patient and wow, but most of the time they do not. And so they rely on the information that the nurse provides them. And, you know, if you don't give them good information, they may say the patient doesn't qualify. And that's again, that's a whole other show. But everybody needs to feel like they're a part of the team. And I'm telling you, your branch will not grow. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I have had some members at the hospice nursing community request some kind of a support group to help fight burnout. And so I have started two burnout support groups at the hospice nursing community.com. Uh, just to help everybody. And so these support groups meet twice a month on the second Thursday and the second Sunday of the month. And so we're going to be doing that. And I wanted to make sure you understood or knew that these will be faith-friendly support groups. And it doesn't mean they'll be preaching or anything strange like that, but I might use devotionals. I might pull something out of the Bible, maybe out of Psalms or something, but just there might be sections of the uh, of the group that deal with matters of faith. And, and I hope that is of interest to you. Uh, it can be found in the community events uh, section of the community. So if you would consider joining, I think it would help you. It's going to help me. I need it, I think, as much as anybody does. So join a burnout support group at thehospicenursingcommunity.com. If there's consistent conflict between sales and clinical that can't be at least understood and, and managed well, I mean, there's always going to be a little bit of tension, but the, there's a difference between tension and conflict, right? Um, okay. So number two, we're doing, we're doing okay on time. Some of these, I better move quick. Um, take ownership of your branch. I think this is really important as an administrator and a lot of leaders just won't do this. And and I'll get into some of the details here. Okay. What does it mean to take ownership? Like, what do you mean? Like, this is my branch and everybody can do what I say there. I took ownership. No, That's being bossy and not leading. 
if there is a breakdown in the function of your office, then the solution starts with you. The solution starts with me. Okay. And, and I'm a real big fan of this in leadership is that if, if there is a, if there is a failure, I'm, I'm, I'm almost hesitant to use the word failure, but if there is a breakdown in my office, in, in any department of it, because I see myself as being the overseer of my entire office. Okay. Um, and I got a quote for you from Simon Sinek that I love is, um, leadership is not being in charge. It's caring for those in your charge. And so to do that, if there's a breakdown in your office, it's important to look at ourselves first. We're the person at the top and the more we take accountability and responsibility for our office, the more likely it is to be successful. And I think we can do that by finding multiple solutions for every problem. And because I've seen this not done correctly, I've seen managers and, and leaders who are like, well, Susie's just not a very good nurse. And that's why we're having these problems. And I just don't like that way of looking at it. You know, Jenny made promises we couldn't keep. Ugh, Jenny, uh, we need to get her on the road. Right. And this is so tempting. I am guilty raising my arm right now, guilty as charged of falling into this trap. But I'm working so hard on getting better because good leaders don't play the blame game. I talked about this in one of my previous episodes. It doesn't mean that we don't hold our staff accountable. Okay. That's that's there. But anytime I have a staff member who's failing, I am still going to look at myself, the systems I have in place, and my own program and go, what should I have done differently? Yes, this, and especially if I start losing staff, I, I just don't want to be the kind of administrator that every single time somebody leaves, I just go, well, look at them and their problems. You know, ugh, they were no good. Glad they're gone. Like, really? I mean, if, if I'm having a lot of this, I better be looking at myself because something is happening wrong in my agency that these nurses are leaving me. I am failing them somehow. And, and we've got to be willing to sit at a round table with other leadership on the clinical side sometimes, because that's really who we're in charge of the most and to sit down and go, okay, let's not be so prideful and arrogant here. You know, we've lost these three staff members in the last 90 days. I mean, if we want to sit down as a team and determine that it was because of their personal problems and issues, we can have that conversation, but it better start with what do we see in common? What is it all three of them did, you know, have said, or what has been their feedback that all of a sudden uh, that, you know, they're all leaving? Like, is this a trend? What are they saying in common? If we can get them to tell us. And if they won't tell us, have we created a, an, a vindictive environment where people can't tell us how they really feel without some kind of retribution on them? Okay, so it looks it so it looks like this: we look at ourselves and our internal systems first, or we want, run the risk of repeating the failure for any problems that our branch is having. If we don't look at our internal systems first and try to identify what we have in place that may be contributing to the problems that we're having, we are going to repeat our failure. And, and just as a note that I've said before, 
Blaming can turn into gaslighting if we aren't careful. If we are trying so hard to find blame and won't take any of it on ourselves, we run the risk of gaslighting our own staff and making them, causing them to really feel either attacked or underappreciated um, or crazy, right? That's what gaslighting does to people because we're trying so hard to make sure we find somebody to blame because it certainly can't be us because we run a great organization or we have great ideas and nobody else has ideas as good as us. Um, so we're looking at, at the systems and we're so careful to not try to lame blame at everybody else's feet. I just think it relaxes a room when you take the brunt of the responsibility for failures and then start looking for solutions that aren't, well, that nurse just needs to get better or that chaplain just needs to get better. Like, I don't like that because it's not, well, it's certainly not specific enough. And, and as I told my team here recently, the more the, the, uh, I'm going to lose my thought, train of thought here. Oops. A train of thought here for a second. But the, the more solutions you have to a single problem, the less chance of it happening again. Because if your only solution is Susie needs to start paying better attention, well, Susie's going to have a bad day, right? I mean, Susie's normal like the rest of us. I mean, get your butt back out in the field for a couple of months and remember how much there is to keep track of. So if our only solution to a problem is that this one person just needs to quit being quit sucking, then we've created an environment where we're just going to have the same failures over and over because we're not looking at our systems. So number three is create a consistent, repeatable program. So this this one, this is just really huge, right? I mean, they're all huge. I pick these all because I just see them being huge. And I'm not able to get into all the details today on what that looks like. Maybe I'll try to do an episode on this or probably what's more likely is I need to do in my community at um, the hospice nursing community. I just finished my case management video coaching series, and I probably need to do a clinical director video coaching series focused on just this, creating a consistent, repeatable program in your agency. And this is important. The process can be the boss of everyone. So if you do want to have a boss, make it the process that everybody helped build and say, well, but our process says this. And then what you can do is you can engage that process in the future if you feel like it it's not getting the job done and your team is like, well, we followed the process and, but the process right here didn't say, you know, didn't tell us what to choose. And so I chose this and it didn't work out, but the process didn't give me direction on what to do with that. Okay. So creating processes is so huge. You cannot be the administrator of an agency without building processes. And this can be different for every agency uh, I have what I like based on my experience. So my processes, the way I run the clinical team is based on Kansas City, is based on what I know about offices here in Kansas City. Um, and I'm learning through doing this show, interacting with members at the hospicenursingcommunity.com and uh, just a lot of personal conversations I have with nurses and agency administrators from all over America is that you know, my way of doing things here in Kansas City aren't necessarily, uh, you know, applicable everywhere, especially for those of you who live out like on the West uh, West Coast where 
it's more sparse and there's lots more traveling and it's just a different environment. I think that my ideas are pretty good ones, especially when you're in the city and in larger population areas, but I just can't speak to some of those areas. So, so that's why I'm trying to be a little more careful on what I say you got to do, even though I have some pretty strong opinions on that. And y'all know this. Um, so, uh, so the consistent repeatable program, who needs it? Who's this important to? It's important to your sales team that you're the, you, the way you run your organization, the way you run your, uh, you know, the, the clinical side of things. I mean, you're an administrator, but you really are overseeing the entirety of your office. And so it's pretty hard to sell an inconsistent program, don't you think? Like a moving target is hard to hit. So it's really hard to sell an inconsistent program because you're trying to tell them what the clinical team does. And if the clinical team hasn't really outlined what they do, then then the, the, then the sales team is going to give mixed messages. Okay. Our office staff needs a uh, consistent, repeatable program, a repeatable plan so that they can run every patient through our system and through our organization consistently. So it's the same for each one. Our patients need this, right? Our patients need a consistent, repeatable experience where each day follows, each day, each week, each month of their care follows this predictable, repeatable. The nurse comes on these two days. It's consistent. It's always this nurse twice a week, or it's this nurse and this LPN once a week, and it's consistent, and it's repeatable, and it's predictable. That is so huge. Don't you want your experience at your favorite restaurant to be consistent and repeatable, right? Isn't that how McDonald's has turned into this big, massive empire? Not because they serve the best food, but it's consistent and repeatable, and everybody knows what to expect when you go through a McDonald's, right? And it's kind of the same with us. This will always be a work in progress. You will never have this completely finished or figured out because you're not perfect, and there is a lot to do. You never, as an administrator, you are never done building systems, and you better work with your team when you do it. You need to, and that's where we're getting into part four of of what we're talking about today is love your team. Like love them. Okay. Care about them. Know that you will not be successful without making them successful. You won't. If you don't make your team successful, you will not be successful. So don't sit around trying to figure out how you can be successful. You figure out how they can be successful and you will benefit from that. And my favorite thing, say it all together, listen, validate, communicate. You guys have heard me say this and I'll keep saying it because repetition is a mode of learning and you need to hear it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you are new to hospice or considering hospice, then in September of 2022, I created the website for you. I created thehospicenursingcommunity.com. What started out as a simple community has become a large library of video trainings. Thehospicenursingcommunity.com now has over 45 video coaching sessions covering subjects such as bedside charting, the hospice comfort kit, the four levels of care, 
how to interview for a hospice job, and so much more. I just completed a seven-part series for case managers, and I'm getting ready to start a series on the PPS scale. TheHospiceNursingCommunity.com is available for just $4.99 per month for full access. Head over to TheHospiceNursingCommunity.com for hope, help, and encouragement. And remember, hospice nursing doesn't get easier. You just get better at it. So let's get better at it together. Listen, validate, communicate. And it's not a formula to get what you want from somebody because they're going to see right through it. If you're just listening and you're kind of distracted and you keep looking at your phone and then you kind of repeat back to them what they said to you and then your favorite part, telling them what they need to do better and what they did wrong. And so I I keep saying that this is not a formula to get you get what you want from somebody. It is a way to organize a conversation so that they are what's important and you're not. It's a way to organize the conversation, not a way to manipulate and get control of somebody. Can this be used to manipulate a little? Yes. That's not necessarily terrible if to understand that, okay, I know that this employee needs to get from A to B. And to get them from A to B, I need to listen to them. I need to validate how they're feeling or what their concerns or worries are. And then I need to communicate with them. So yes, it is a way to manipulate, but you got to check your heart. You got to check your heart and make sure that your ultimate goal is their success. Okay. And is to make sure that they are heard and validated. And you might find something out that's going on with them that you didn't know. Okay. And then sometimes you need to just listen and validate and not try to fix anything or correct anything, or even communicate anything, because our staff have real lives too. And we need to be understanding, and sometimes that means just to listen to them, that we just need to be sure to listen and make sure that that they know that we care about them. And, And I've had all kinds of people that I knew were really struggling and weren't performing to what I felt like they should be, but they came into my office They shared with me some of their frustrations that maybe are even going on personally. And I've listened and I've told them that I'm sorry they're having to go through that. And I don't, I don't have a lecture prepared for them. And I might say something like, I get it. You're having a rough time. Let's regroup and talk again next week about this. And, and we'll come back to this and just give them time to process what may or may not be happening in their real lives. Every single one of us have had our personal lives sneak into our work and we've fallen down and we tripped and we stumbled. And I just think we need to be more understanding of each other. Um, And sometimes that means to just listen. And then I just, I I tried this on a few times and I'm going to share it with you because I ended up, I tried this. I was kind of encouraged to have this kind of conversation with employees, and you can have this sometimes, but you better not have this conversation unless you're ready for this employee to move on. And it is simply, this is the job you signed up for. This is not a strategy to motivate your staff. This will most likely push them on out the door. So I really caution all of you who like to have people in your office who are struggling with with the role or struggling with something and you're and you just want to say to them that well this is the job you signed up for 
And you can't even say that without making a face. Like, go stand in the mirror or something and try to say that and see if you can control your face to be kind and loving. You're not going to be able to because that statement all by itself says, this is your mess you got yourself into, so either shape up or ship out. And listen, as leaders, we get frustrated too. And so trying to point out the job description won't always get us what we want. And, and you know, that doesn't work with my boss. If he's like, well, I'm sorry you're working all these extra hours on the weekend, but you signed up for this job. Ick, you know. And I've just seen this used to no success. And I've been, I've had people kind of, I've had bosses, and, and the person I'm thinking of really was just a boss, not a leader, who was like, that's what you need to tell them. Tell them that's the job signed up for. And it didn't work. That person quit within a month. And maybe they needed to quit. But man, don't pull that out early. Um, and so number five is develop this culture in your clinical director. Okay, listen up, y'all. You better have a coachable clinical director. I have been in leadership roles with clinical directors that were not very coachable. And it can really create a problem because there is a space between the administrator and the clinical team that the clinical director fills. And that clinical director has a lot more influence over the team than the administrator ever could. And they ever could. And if you have a clinical director that is resistant to your coaching and is struggling with the staff, you are really going to struggle to move your way through that uh, because they just have more influence over um, over the team than you ever can because they interact with them most. That's that's who calls to get help. That's who's running the IDT most of the time. And so you have to you have to really develop your clinical director. And so I would encourage, and I've done this in the past, and where I am right now, me and my clinical director are so busy running around doing admits and really staying busy because we're small and growing fast that we have not had time to do this. But we like doing weekly sessions together to review how things are going, how the team is. She helps to communicate with me how the team is feeling, how our nurses and aides are doing, if they're overwhelmed, if we need to make changes. And then I have to remain humble enough to shut my yap and listen to her as she shares with me any concerns she has with what's rolling downhill to her team. And if you have a clinical director that loves her team, wants to hold them to a high standard, but is not afraid to advocate for them, you've got yourself a gem. And do not want to let that person go. And I have that right now where I'm working is I have a clinical director who loves her team and wants what's best for them, and but also is not afraid to come into my office and close the door and go, hey, I see this concern and I need you to take a look at it as our leader and make sure that you're bring, taking us in the right direction. And I'm going to take that. I am going to receive that from her as hard as sometimes it may be, but she's operating uh, to protect her team. And that's what I need from her. I need that from her because that's how I was as a clinical director. And I want her to be the same way. I've had bosses that I didn't feel like I could quite approach like that. And I don't want my clinical director to feel like she can't come to me 
and say, hey, you're taking us down this road and it's not going to work. Or we have you're bringing in this new way of doing things and you haven't trained any of us how to do it. And I need you to put that together because I'm not having my team running around blind. Like she's a gem and you can't have her. Anybody in Kansas City, you can't have my clinical director. She's too good. She's going to keep working for me. And then finally, part six, I'm going to find a way to do a show that doesn't last over an hour, is be visible. These are my five, these are my six things that I feel like if you really took these on, you could grow your office. Okay? Um, It is foster healthy relationships between sales and clinical. It is take ownership of your branch. It is create a consistent, repeatable program. It is love your team. It is develop this culture in your clinical director. And then finally, number six is be visible. I have worked with administrators who felt like they weren't really, I'm trying to figure out how to put this. I'm everybody's boss. I have my thing I'm doing. I have a clinical director who's running your show. And so I'm busy. I'm going to be back here in my corner office with all the windows. And I don't have, you you don't have no business coming and talking to me. If you need anything, you can reach out to your clinical director and that person will take care of it. And that's just not cool at all. And I've talked to, I had one of my most recent bosses worked for bosses, leaders. She was a leader. She worked for a very large agency just for a few months here in Kansas City a few years ago. And in those three months, she never once saw the clinical team, any of them. She didn't like that. She left because she knows that she needs to be a little more visible than that to her team. And you do not want to be, I don't even, is it the man in the high castle? Is that somebody you never get to see? I don't know. I just thought that was a thing. But absence is not power. Like being absent and being somebody that people don't see very often does not give you some kind of higher moral ground for your team And somehow they'll be more respectful because it's like, ooh, the Wizard of Oz. How dare you, the all-powerful Oz, when it's really some dude behind a curtain, right? So absence is not power. Like, find your way into that IDG meeting from time to time. Bring some treats or something. Find reasons to get out in the field. Uh, My biggest fear and concern with as my current agency grows, which it is, is that I will get to the point where I will never be out in the field. I will never get any kind of reminder of how hard it can be out there. And I don't know what that's going to look like in the future because as we do grow and I get busier being an actual administrator, it's going to start to become limited. But I'm going to have to find a way every now and then to go on a ride along with somebody or show up at a visit with somebody, not as a, a role of supervising them, but just to remember how hard this job can be because this is a hard job and I am terrified of losing sight of how hard this job is and taking any of my staff for granted. And if you are in hospice leadership, if you are an administrator or the, or in an agency that has like clinical team leaders and you're the clinical director, and you just 
and, and it's been months or maybe even years since you were at a visit, and not an easy visit, go to a hard one, to help remind you of how hard this job is. None of us in the upper levels of management and leadership at a hospice should ever forget how difficult it can be to be those boots on the ground, so to speak, to be the aide that has to work with the, uh, you know, patients that are heavy or to have family members that are constantly fighting when you're in the house or to be that RN case manager that every time you go into a home, the family is bickering or they're asking you to do things that you maybe don't have time to do or you're trying to manage your day, their day because it has six patients, just all the things that come along. And those of you in leadership who have never even held a field position, you have a lot of work in front of you from an emotional standpoint from because you need to start getting out and seeing some of what it is your nurses go through. If you have by some miracle made your way into leadership, having never held a field position, you, you got to get out there. I'm not saying this can't be done or shouldn't be done, but I'm real leery of it. And I want to see, leaders who, if they don't have the experience of working in the field, find a way to get out there and watch what happens and be reminded and or be shown the challenging conversations we all have because this is death and dying every day. Death, 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 dying, 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 denial, denial, won't sign the DNR. Then all of a sudden they die and somebody in the family calls 911 and our nurse shows up and EMS is there and they're waiting for the medical examiner. Examiner, All of the crazy stuff we deal with in hospice, if you're in administration and you've not been around for any of that stuff, find a way. Whatever it takes, man. you got a day out in the field once a month where you're with somebody so that you can bask in the glory of what this work is like. That's my soapbox at the end of this episode. And I hope some of you in leadership will take that serious. We've got a lot to do, those of us in leadership. Why wait? Let's get started today. Let's build the kind of culture that people want to be a part of. Would you take some time to leave a review of the show on your podcast provider, man, somebody gave me a one star rating, man. I tell you what, if you're going to give me a one star rating, shoot me an email and tell me what I'm doing. Not that I have to, you know, not that I need um, confirmation and positivity from everybody, but Hey, you know, I wouldn't mind it. (laughs) You could call me. I'm going to pretend that you hit that one by accident, but leave a review on your podcast app. It's quick and easy. Appreciate y'all. Call me at 816-834-9191 or email me at james at confessionsofahospicenurse.net or join the hospicenursingcommunity.com. It's $4.99 a month. I have all completely different material in there. There's coaching help in there. There's other nurses you can talk to and ask questions from. It's a great community, and I hope you decide to join it. Just remember that 
Hospice doesn't get easier. You just get better at it. So let's get better at it together. This has been episode 48 of the Hospice Nursing Podcast for February 4th, 2024.